In every significant marketplace, there is competition. But should we be afraid of the competition? Should we distance ourselves from them in hopes that customers will choose us over them? Or do we have more to gain by reaching out, starting relationships, maybe even partnering with our competition? It's a juicy question and there are some serious things at stake, especially for us small businesses. So let's get into it. Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show. This is, this is, this is the Fizzle Show, where every Friday we publish another conversation for people creating businesses to live life on their own terms. Okay, now we know it is possible. We know it's possible because we've done it and we're doing it and we teach thousands and thousands of people how to do it. Okay, but we also know that it's difficult. It's possible, it's amazing, and it's difficult. And that's why we do the Fizzle Show. Now, if you want to go deeper than just podcast episodes, if you want to pursue more in depth guidance to create your business or make your existing business fun again, that'd be nice, right? Or if you just want to get a creative project off the ground with the chance that it can actually earn you some extra money. We've created something just for you. And it's not what you think. It's not a course. It's a bunch of courses on all the things you need to know. And they're really enjoyable. And it's not what you think. You don't do it alone. You do it in community. There are a ton of us and we motivate, encourage, and support each other. Now, it's difficult, but it's amazing to create a side project or a full-time business that helps you live life on your terms, and that's why we want you to try Fizzle. As a listener to this show, we want to give you five weeks for free, a five-week free trial when you go to fizzle.co slash try five, okay? Because it's possible, it's amazing, and it's difficult what you're trying to do. So head to fizzle.co slash try five to start your free five-week trial right now. Okay, follow along at home at fizzleshow.co slash 202. I'll be back after this conversation to fill in any gaps. All right, Steph, what are we talking about today? Okay, you guys. So I think this is going to be a great conversation. We already have a bunch of people over in the Fizzle forums talking about this topic because we've. if you're a member of Fizzle, by the way, you've noticed that over the past couple of weeks, we started this new thing, which is a question of the week. And at least for right now, we're trying to align the question of the week with what we're talking about on the podcast. So that's kind of fun. So we posted something similar to this question in the forums and some people are already talking about it. So there's lots of good conversation going on over there. But in this week's episodes of the Courage and Clarity podcast, I'm talking to Natalie Frank, who is the founder of the Rising Tide Society. Now, the Rising Tide Society, they describe themselves as an international network of creatives who believe in community over competition. That's actually this hashtag they've started on uh, Instagram and a lot of people post cool pictures and there's a lot of cool conversation going on over there. So now, she's hold on, on the, a second. Before yeah. you keep going, I want to clarify a couple things because I, I already tell, tell where this is going and I can't wait to get into it. But <laughs> one thing I want people to know is that in case they haven't heard, we have a second podcast called Great. Courage and Clarity and Steph Duh, runs that. that podcast. Mm -hmm. And every week, there is two episodes that go out. One of them is called Courage and the other one is called Clarity. So the Courage episode is about what exactly, Steph? 
So yeah, it's a two it's two part conversations with amazing entrepreneurs. The first one, the courage conversation, is all about sort of the origin story, but more specifically, kind of the dark moments and the turning points that turn people into entrepreneurs. And then the second part of the conversation is the clarity piece, which is much more tactical and instructive and really provides sort of like the brass tacks type tips that people can then go and apply in their own businesses. So basically, it's one part vision with the first half of the conversation. And the second half is more about the process that you can follow mm. to actually make this happen in your own business. And we've, we've been, now we've, we, this marks like yesterday was the day you launched the last episodes of season one of yep. Courage and Clarity. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That's right. And so this is like a big deal. This is like we did season one of Courage and Clarity. We said we're going to do this season of 12 episodes to see what it's like. And the feedback has been enormous. Yes. Tons of people are listening to the show. Tons of people are loving the show. It's obviously hit a nerve. So we're going to keep going, right? Yep. We're going to keep going. And I'm, <laughs> yeah. really, I'm really excited. Yeah, people have been all over this. And I've had... I've had so much fun going back and forth with people who are really resonating with this stuff. So if you haven't checked it out, I'd love for you guys to just search for Courage and Clarity in iTunes or a podcast app of your choice. You can also go to courageandclarity.com. There's a whole separate website. So if you haven't checked it out, I'd love for you guys to listen because people are, my guests have been amazing and people have been really into it. So yes, this yeah. week is the last uh, week of season one. So like I said, this is fe features Natalie Frank, who's a wonderful, wonderful guest. And she, like I said, is the founder of this society called the Rising Tide Society. And I've loved, I've really been thinking a lot lately of their concept over community, over competition, because as we're going to get into in this episode, there's a lot there. And some of it is extremely counterintuitive. And I've learned a lot from just kind of following. It's very, it's a very refreshing take on entrepreneurship that I think this community mm. brings to the table. So mm, I thought we could yeah. provide our take because I think part of what I love so much about it is it feels very aligned with the fizzle way. So that's been kind of a breath of fresh air to find another community of people who kind of have a similar vibe to them. So mm. we'll talk a little bit about that. But so Natalie's telling us about this concept of community over competition, as well as she in her clarity episode, she's sharing five big tips to build your tribe online. She's built quite an audience. So she's talking about how to authentically do that. So <clears throat> I thought we could combine these ideas because I think for a lot of us, as we're diligently kind of looking to create content, we're building our tribe, we're work working really hard to put out blog posts or podcasts or whatever the case may be. I think there's this temptation to really like keep your hidden idea, like keep it precious and not let other people steal your thoughts and steal your thunder. We hear about this all the time in the Fizzle forums. Sometimes people will actually write to us at Fizzle and say, you know, I really want guidance. I really want community, but I'm scared to talk about my idea because I don't want other people to steal it. So there's this kind of, I thought there was this interesting balance going on between community as well as how do you balance that with the natural, and I think I think it's a totally natural fear that someone, another entrepreneur is going to kind of swoop in and, and take your ideas. So I thought in this episode, we could talk about forming meaningful connections with other people in your niche because the two of you at Fizzle have done a tremendous job with this, I think. We have a lot of friends that we've partnered with and has had a profound impact on our business, which I think would be really valuable for people to hear as well as how, and this is what I have found in just the six short weeks I've been kind of doing my own podcast, 
there is this sort of um, deepened connection to the work that I have found by connecting with other people who are doing similar work, even if that means other people who have a, a podcast similar to mine, which on, honestly at first was kind of like, well, I don't know if I should be friends with this person. They have a competing podcast. So yeah. there's a lot going on here and there's tons for us to dig into. We'll get into a couple different parts, but that's kind of the general summary of what I thought we could talk about today. Oh, I love it. Now, it sounds like one of the things you just got into and just kind of touched was was this question of like, so how scared should you be of mm-hmm. the competition? Is yeah. that a good place to jump into, you think? Or do you want to pull that in later on? Or Because I, I just found myself just like interested in that right from the start. Yeah, we can start there. That's that's definitely one of the two parts of the conversation, which is, you know, again, so let me, uh, let's go there first. So this is the idea of community over competition and what that really means, right? So I'll, I'll start us off and then I want to turn it over to you guys for your reaction to this. And maybe you can talk about how you've dealt with it in building Fizzle and where we are now. But this is something that Natalie said over on the Courage and Clarity podcast. She said, if you come together, you can educate people about why what you offer is valuable. The struggle is not with competing against one another. The struggle really is educating the public on why what you're offering is actually of value in the first place. So this to me, I don't know how this strikes you guys, but this was kind of counterintuitive to me because for me, my gut instinct, like I've mentioned, sometimes has been, well, aren't I in competition with other people who are doing similar things to me? But the the thought that Natalie offered was the struggle isn't really about competing with other people. It's really like turning the attention towards the audience and the consumer and perhaps banding together to convince them that there's value to what all of you are working on in the first place. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that makes me immediately think of, of something that, uh, that someone in, in the forums said about this. Jason was talking about the difference between some industries. So when I hear her talking in the Rising Tide Society, um, I hear her saying this one, this one message, which is like, you should partner with your competition because oftentimes we're working on a mission that matters more than either of our success. And in yeah. fact, there's plenty of the pie for uh, for both of us or all four of us or however many of us there are to mm-hmm. exist, right? And so you can imagine in a world where it's like people eating healthier, more natural food. It's like, that is a big mission, right? That's like, I'm about that. I'm Jada at, at uh, greensmoothies.com or I can't remember what the what exactly that is. Sim- simple that Green was. Smoothies. Simple yeah. Green Smoothies, right? Um, and I can partner with Minimalist Baker and I can partner with all these other, because like the whole point is like, let's be eating healthier. Let's be eating more natural. Let's be eating things that make our bodies feel vibrant, right? That's a big mission that we all agree with. Same thing with us at Fizzle. We can team up with Pat Flynn or John Lee Dumas or the folks at Live Your Legend or anywhere else because what we know is that the hardest thing in the world is to earn a living independently to do life on your own terms to do it in a way that both puts food on the table roof over your head like smiles on your faces and your kids faces and like it it's sustainable it doesn't burn you out right this is an enormously challenging difficult thing to do so for us we can partner with people to do that But as Jason says in the forums, he's like, I do a lot of work in the automotive industry. And every time I go into one of these places, like a Ford or a Chrysler or something like this, it's like going into Fort Knox. It's like everything is under lock and key because that that market, that, uh, yeah, I guess that market is at a maturity level where every single innovation counts. If you've got that and they don't, 
then that might mean that you eat a little bit better next year. <laughs> do, right. do you know what I mean? Yeah. And of course, it's so removed because it's not like you're eating better. It's like the CEOs have, you know, fatter paychecks or something like that. But yeah, I, hopefully it's, it percolates throughout the entire, end, like, you know, the organization. But I thought that that was a really, really, really interesting point of view because I actually realized, Steph, I was, only, I was totally one-minded about this, realizing that because I'm working in such big mission space, where I, where we care about, you know, healthy eating or about entrepreneurship or life on your terms or actually being satisfied and happy in the way that you choose to live your life. And how, you know, we all have to earn a living, yada, 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 all this stuff. And the challenge of these problems are so deep, so almost spiritual, so like human and like fundamental, like have always been a challenge for our species that, that it's kind of like, yeah, the more the merrier let's get, let's, let's really try to get culture to shift on this. Um, but there are other industries and frankly, you know, just industries that are, that are, you know, there's a way of doing business that it's just like, you, you, you don't do a business to matter. You do a business to make profit, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just watched Newsies with my son. I'll say this and then I'll stop talking. Uh, I, I've never seen Newsies before. Turns out <laughs> I've never seen Newsies before. Christian Bale's first flick, lots of song and dance. You know, I had a few of those theater friends that loved Newsies. Oh my God. And then they start singing one of the songs from him. I'm like, I'm never going to watch that movie ever. I don't want to have anything to do with this movie, you know? And then we watched it and it was super good. It was still super Marxist, super good, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, uh, and one of the things that, that is, that, that it showcases is these two entrepreneurs, Okay, one of them, uh, William Pulitzer or whatever his name is, uh, who owns the Globe, and then and then what's his name, Randolph William Randolph Hertz or whatever, who uh, who owned the the other magazine, and the whole world. These guys were shaping the whole world, trying to get more money from each other because their competition was it mattered so much. But then they would play poker with each other. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like that old world cigar chomping entrepreneurship. And that's a different kind of that. That's I, I see that as like the the automotive industry sort of kind of competition. It's like, no, I'm not telling you what we're doing. And in fact, we're going to what we're going to do is directly going to affect you. This is warfare. Mm-hmm. And and this other way of doing it, which I think which maybe maybe a lot of businesses, but not all new businesses are in that other way of doing it, where we're creating mission based organizations that are very profitable that make that, that make money, you know, but, uh, and the whole point is to, to, to fund my way of life so I can keep doing this thing because I'm doing it out of a sense of like urgency, care, compassion, concern for this specific thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for me, I, I, I love, I really liked Jason's thoughts on that. They, they, it made me realize how one-sided I was being about this because my mission world that I live in is it, it defines everything about what, how I pursue business. Yeah. And I think, but what you're bringing up is really important, I think, because there is this tension going on here, right? Because on one hand, you have the approach that you're talking about that you kind of always assumed, which was that the more we can, the the more the merrier, the more we partner, the more people get to live amazing lives in entrepreneurship. Like what could, what could go wrong? But on the other hand, I think it's important to recognize that competition is critical, especially so the automotive industries is a great example. There are plenty others in so many ways, competition drives innovation because, you know, there's like when people are trying to figure out how to get to the next, you know, the next place quicker, then people yeah. are motivated to actually make things better. So there is, I don't think this is us saying that, you know, let's all hold hands and kumbaya and competition shouldn't exist. So there is this yeah, weird yeah, tension. Yeah. And that's kind of part of what what of what I was hoping to explore in this conversation is what role does competition play 
Um, at the same time, how can you leverage people who are doing similar work in a way that everybody wins? So I don't know, Corbett, what yeah. are you hearing? I'd love to get your take on this. So I was just thinking like, what's the, what's at stake here for somebody listening to this? Some, an entrepreneur who's wondering like, how should I approach competition? And I guess for me, the, the question that keeps coming up is, am I better off if I partner with my competition and uh, get to know them? Or am I better off if I'm selfish and I ignore the competition, try to beat them in every way and make sure that my customers see them as maybe the enemy, or maybe I don't even acknowledge them, right? Because you, just, you have to imagine there are scenarios where like, for example, with when, when you're talking about the automotive industry, this is a, a massive industry. It's not as if there are a lot of new consumers being generated. There's a certain size of, uh, you know, people, a number of people that are buying cars. And when someone goes to buy a car, the choices are very clear. It's not as if you have to hunt and look for yeah. car manufacturers. Yeah, there are, you know, I don't know, 50 or, or something of them out there. And for any category of car that you're looking at, there are probably like 10 choices. And so it doesn't really do, uh, you know, Land Rover to point out, it doesn't do them any good to point out that there's a Jeep that does exactly the same thing. Uh, and also because if they say, hey, here's, you know, this Jeep that does the same thing and you buy that Jeep, they're not getting any goodwill in return. It's not like Jeep is going to go, hey, you know, that ad that Land Rover ran was really nice. We should do something for them. Unless their CEOs happen to be buddy-buddy or something like that, which I don't think really happens in that world. So there's just a massive difference between industries with hundreds of mm. thousands of employees versus us, you know, yeah. people like us who yeah. are running three-person businesses. And there's also a difference because in our space, it feels like our pie is growing ever bigger versus other industries where the pie is yeah. kind of the same size. So yeah. since yeah, ours, yeah, is, yeah. ours is growing all the time, we can also kind of band together with other businesses that we feel like are taking things in the direction that we want to see them go. And then we all benefit, sort of the rising tide. But the rising tide is really benefiting us and our friends. We sort of become this click in business together yeah. And it's yeah. really easy, you know, in a small business to get to know the other owners and CEOs. And basically I scratch, you know, your back, you'll scratch mine. But even with us, even with a, a business like Fizzle, we do keep something secret because in the beginning, you know, there's a lot of business out there. There are a lot of products to be made. And sure, maybe you're a minimalist baker and uh, you know that Simple Green Smoothies has a great smoothie product and you're not serving your customers with a great smoothie recipe book or something. But then eventually your business grows enough and maybe Minimalist Baker decides to create their own smoothie book. And so then they stop recommending Simple Green Smoothies because by doing so, they're literally just taking sales out of their own business. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I, I don't know how it plays out, but in the beginning, if, if the question is purely, am I better off by partnering with a competition or by shunning them? In the beginning, the question for me is unequivocally, you should partner with your competition because it's likely that you're going to have complementary products for a while before you're able to build everything out. And so with Fizzle, it's easy for us to say, especially for things that are that are complementary, like recommending ConvertKit, you know, as an email provider. Yeah. Obviously, we don't do yeah. that, but we both cover the same audience. Or even, uh, you know, with someone like John Lee Dumas, we have some podcasting materials inside of Fizzle, but they're not that in depth, you know? And so if someone wants to really dive in, then maybe John Lee Dumas at Entrepreneur on Fire 
has a better course and we we might recommend that to someone if it's a better fit, knowing that if we do that, that customer might trust us more because they see that we are really having their interest in, in mind as opposed to our own bottom line. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Now, okay, hold on. That just, that last little sentence just is a big, big trigger, right? This is where for me as a businessman, as a smart, savvy marketer, do you see how powerful that is? That idea of, of, and it may, it may not be like massively powerful, but if you can get your customers to unequivocally trust you, that you have their best interest in mind, right? Then that is like an insanely powerful, powerful asset. That's a relationship that, uh, that could be worth lots of value to you and lots of value to that customer. Right. And all you had to do to show that to do to show that you had their best interest in mind was to say, who's got the if you're looking to be a podcaster, who's the best podcast uh, training platform out there? Right. You know, and then you and then you tell the truth about that. Now, I happen to think that we have a really, really good offering because we have ongoing support and all sorts of other stuff. And and, and I think they do as, as well. But you see what immediately makes you start going. We versus they versus us versus them versus us versus them. And I think in some ways. Uh, one of the reasons why we have or have been able to make such great friendships with our competition is simply because of the maturity level of our marketplace. The fact that that, as Corbett said, our pie seems to continue to be growing. We're not we're not you know looking for pieces off of a finite amount of of people. Um, our the market seems to be growing of people who are interested in in doing something on their own and earning a living you know their own way, starting podcasts, starting blogs, etc. That pie keeps growing. And that's why our marketplace allows for those kinds of relationships. Uh, But something that that triggered me was, and I just felt like needed to be reiterated, is just that sense of like, as a marketer, what kind of value can you create and trust, or rather trust, what kind of trust can you create when you actually do this kind of partnership with a competition? It shows that you, both you and so if Minimalist Baker and Simple Green Smoothies do some big uh, partnership thing, it shows they both care about the mission more than their own profit base, right? So something about that is a powerful signaler in in today's in today to to millennials, basically. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, there's something to that that's that's really strong. Yeah. Uh, something else that Corbett said that I loved, which I think bears repeating, is. This idea that, oh man, I just totally lost my train of thought. Sorry, you guys. Nah. <laughs> I don't even know where wow. I was going with that. Oh my Steph, God. I've never That's seen great. that happen to you before. I, just, I know. My brain Steph. is like yeah. fried. Sorry. Preggers uh, wake up in the middle of the night, feed your baby. I liked uh, where you were going talking about <laughs> something that I said that oh you God. really loved. And what was it? Like, I cannot even describe the way my, my brain just like actually turned off. That happens. happens. Well, (laughs) let me try to see because we were we were talking about like the the thing that started this whole segment of the podcast was this question of how scared should you be to uh, to basically approach your competition to to you know think about uh, about reaching out to them right and we talked about the difference between you know an automotive automotive type industry where where the pie is basically a finite size and the market is really really mature like we know there's like when was the last time a new car man like a new actual brand of cars came on the line was it like scion or something like that <clears throat> you know 
And then mission-based organizations are a little bit different. I, I call them mission-based. They don't need to be that. It's just like younger, younger, in order to start a business that has some, some like sort of gusto to it, you're, you're probably serving some greater ideal in the culture, you know, about health and wellness, about spirituality or about independence or about, uh, you know, things that don't make you feel sleazy when you go to bed at night or something like that. So up to now, we've just talked about how scared should you be? And by the way, Steph, this reminds me of, did you see what Susanna wrote in the forums? Um, she's most recent. And I just, I liked, she wrote about uh, a couple different things, but one of them was about how afraid she was uh, to reach out to her competition. And she told this story. She's like, when I was a little girl, I was really afraid of getting kicked by a donkey. <laughs> and I can't tell if when she's telling it, she's like, just decided like, I'm going to just get kicked by a donkey to see if it's as bad as what I'm afraid of. <laughs> right. But it gets, And so she pulled the tail of this donkey and the kick hurt, but not as bad as like the fear. The fear is like 10 times scarier than the actual pain of, of the kick. And she said, that's what it kind of reminded her of when she reached out to her competition because she was doing this podcast thing and she reached out to a couple of people that she's in quote competition with. And they were both super gracious, totally wanted to play along and do the thing. And she was like, I was so paranoid about them. And I don't think I really needed to be that paranoid about them, which mm -hmm. I just thought was a perfect story, an example of what we were just talking about, how powerful it can be when you do reach across the aisle and, and look, and, and which is, it, it, you gotta be a little humble to do that. Yeah. You know, that there's something about this humility of this that's can be really powerful. That's what I was going to say. Now I remember that was what Corbett was mentioning that I thought was so helpful is asking yourself what, I don't want to say what's in it for me, but I love that you put it very simply Corbett, which was like asking yourself, am I better off reaching out to my competition or trying to go it alone. And I can tell everybody that from my experience with launching a podcast, I cannot imagine trying to build this thing in a vacuum. Like that would be mm. so much harder than it already has been. First of yeah. all, of course, I've been able to, you know, leverage Fizzle's platform since this is a Fizzle podcast. But on top of that, you know, the guests that I've had have been super gracious and sharing with their audiences and, and they don't have to do that, especially because a few of them have actually had one of them, uh, Amanda, Amanda Bolin, who has the She Did It Her Way podcast. You could totally argue that our messages are quite similar. We're telling amazing stories of female entrepreneurs. There's some differentiators, but it would be very easy for either of us to say, no, no, I'm having a podcast. Like my podcast is the podcast for female entrepreneurs. She can't be here, so I'm not going to work with her. But that's mm. not what Amanda did, right? So I think that that was a, a great great question to ask yourself is, sure, I could hide this idea to myself and try to like not, you know, sort of push everybody else down, but it's probably going to take you way longer to get where you want to go without being able to stand on the shoulders of, of others, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Th this is the kind of thing, I, I think there's two sides to this as well. There's the just purely um, economic value of, of should I, uh, you know, participate with my competition or, or, work against them. And then there's the, how do I feel about it personally? And, and what does that do to my, my psyche and my business? If I feel good because I'm helping other people out, you know, or whatever, uh, on the purely economic side, I'm guessing this is the kind of thing that economists do PhD studies on, you know, this has probably been done a million times to figure out what the shape of competition takes and uh, how businesses perform when they partner with one another. I'm sure it's mostly studied on the like massive scale, so it probably doesn't really apply to us running you know one person businesses. But uh, it would be really interesting to have an economist on to just tell us like how does this work? And there's probably something to that 
you know, getting in with a group of people that are similar so that you all share influence and power over the rest of the market for a while until you all grow up and then you have to start fighting each other, I guess. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So, okay, I think that we're getting close to being able to segue here to the kind of the second part of this conversation. So, Hey, do you hear something? All right, maybe it's nothing. I gotta make this short because my competition might be spying in on me. I'm here to tell you about FreshBooks, all right? It's small business accounting software and it's designed for small businesses and especially for all you freelancers out there. You know who you are. You know who you are, that's right. And there's a lot of you. And it helps millions, FreshBooks does, to get more of their business done in less time now. Did you hear something? Okay, FreshBooks has been redesigned from the ground up. That's important because if you've ever seen it before, you need to look at it again because it's redesigned from the ground up. And here's one of the things it's gonna help you with, time tracking. FreshBooks will handle all your time tracking. So when it comes time to create that invoice, you'll know exactly what you did and when you did it. Do you know how easy that makes it? FreshBooks has given you as a Fizzle Show listener 30 days. Did you hear something? 30 days of unrestricted use to all the listeners of the Fizzle Show. Totally free right now. To claim your free month, go to freshbooks.com slash fizzle and enter the Fizzle Show in the how did you hear about us section. All right, let's get back to the episode. we're getting close to being able to segue here to the kind of the second part of this conversation. So to me, something that Chase said was a great segue to talking maybe a little bit about this next part, which was this takes some humility, right? You kind of have to be humble in order to do this. So, and, and I think we'll kind of get a little bit into sort of like the role that humility or vulnerability plays as you're kind of trying to build a tribe or build an audience. You know, I think, so let me, let me start by sharing this quote from Seth Godin. I shared this with you guys and I thought it was great. So I want to share it with the, with the crowd too. A tribe is a group of people connected to one another, connected to a leader and connected to an idea, right? So when we're thinking about building an audience, right? So you've got in competition being kind of part of that audience, there's like this, I'm sort of thinking it as like a triangle. There's three different points. There's people being connected to each other, people being connected to a leader, and then people being connected to an idea. So of course, you know, when I, when I saw this quote, I was thinking about Fizzle and how we have this community where people are connected to each other. They're connected to the leadership of perhaps this podcast and the people who, you know, lead this company, as well as connected to an idea. The idea being they want to build awesome businesses and have the lifestyle that they want. So as you're kind of trying to create this own like triangle in your own business, I think that there's an element of vulnerability or authenticity that helps that helps you stand out. And I think I would love to talk to you guys a little bit about this, about how the role vulnerability plays in fostering genuine conversation and, and standing out. We've talked about standing out before, but I think when we're talking, first of all, about competition, there's this element of like having to be real and really forging like true friendships versus kind of standing on the soapbox of social media and like putting up your megaphone and just yelling about your content. So mm. I don't know. I'd love for you guys to just kind of react to this, react to this quote, as well as the role that authenticity plays in not only, you know, making friends with your competition, but also how, how that lends itself to building a really cool community. Corbett, what do you got? I, well, I was just thinking about um, how, you know, when you play a board game, with some friends and uh, some of the friends take it really seriously and it's competitive. 
you know, and maybe people, some, some, uh, spouses of people on this call actually right now, yeah, this maybe, podcast, maybe, maybe some of those people, <laughs> maybe. Take things, maybe some of them take things a little serious. And, and sometimes it gets a little heated when you're playing a board game, but a lot maybe of times, sometimes they're, they're the oldest of 10 kids and they grew up on a farm in Saskatchewan, Canada and <laughs> once it's in a while. all they had, <laughs> once I don't in a know, while. maybe, <laughs> but anyway, and I, and I know for some, like that's kind of, it's kind of rough. Like it's not that fun to play those games, but for others, for me, you know, I, I, I'm not that competitive in those games, but I do like to fight a little and, and there's a lot of fun in that. And so I think that, um, you know, when, when you meet with people who are in your space, whatever it is, whatever niche you're working in, and you meet other people who are somewhat successful in that space, there's a little of this, you know, you, you are feeling each other out a little bit to kind of see who's holding their cards close to their vest and who is, um, being really genuine and upfront and what sort of information they're going to give you and, and so on. And then of course, you know, sometimes you'll have a conversation and then several months later, uh, that will lead to maybe somebody releasing a product that was very similar to something that you were sharing, you know? And, and so, uh, it, it can be frustrating. You can learn something from these people. And, but at the end of the day, for me, this is all part of the fun of running a business, you know, that there is that little bit of competition. And I think that makes it yeah. exciting and invigorating for some reason. And, uh, and whereas others, I think, you know, for some reason, just get really ticked off whenever anybody, uh, borrows something that they that they learn from them. I've seen people who just get enraged if someone uh, steals some sort of copy or content or a blog post or something. Whereas I, I just see it as kind of part of the process. So you know, I think it's uh, you mentioned a couple of words in the prep for this, Steph. You talked about scarcity versus abundance, and I think there are there are, are ways that people approach the world that just come naturally to them. And some of us feel like the world is abundant and there's enough to go around and others feel like they have to fight for every scrap that they get. And I yeah. think that really influences how you treat social media and how you treat people that you meet that you are potentially in competition with. And um, me personally, I, I prefer to be pretty upfront. Uh, you know, I, I, I look at it a little bit like a chess game to make sure that I'm not giving away things that are going to hurt me badly, but in general, I try to be pretty upfront with people and the friendships that you make can become so valuable when you break down those barriers and actually get to know someone really well. There are a bunch of people in our space who are pretty well known that we've spent a lot of time with at conferences and just, you know, having fun and getting drunk and going to dinner and meeting each other's families and, and so on, like you would with a regular friend. And those things have really paid off, not just from a business standpoint, but also from a, you know, looking back on it, I'm not going to sweat the $10,000 I lost on some product because I gave away too many details to somebody. I'm going to remember the incredible friendships that we forged and, and what that felt like and that there were people there supporting us and rooting for us because we took the time to get to know them as opposed mm. to, um, you know, just like you said, using social media as a soapbox um, and, uh, and using it to really get to know people instead. Mm. Yeah. Can you kind of say more about sort of the, I liked what was interesting, what sort of piqued my interest was you said that you want to be yourself on these, especially like these public platforms, but you don't want to do, you don't want to take it too far to the point where you, I think you may have used the word dangerous or hurting myself. Can you kind of maybe, I don't know if you have an, an actual example, Corbett, but maybe, you know, how have you leveraged these platforms to form these relationships while also, I don't know, keeping it professional, if that makes sense? Mm. 
Yeah. And I, I, th- I guess there's kind of two angles to it. The, the thing that I was thinking about specifically was when you get in a small group of entrepreneurs, some of us, the more geeky, like data-driven ones, the thing that becomes really juicy is being able to talk about metrics and numbers and sort of behind the scenes stuff that somebody would probably never publish publicly mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, getting in and digging in and finding out like, well, you know, what was your refund rate? And, uh, you know, how, how much did you end up, you know, paying in commissions on that or whatever, or, you know, what was your ROI on those Facebook ads, that sort of stuff. That's really fun and juicy and you can, and can be incredibly valuable because you can learn some things that you can apply to your own business really quickly. But again, that's where, you know, it, it does at some point start to feel like a little bit of a give and take, you know, it's, it's like when you have a friend and somebody offers to take you to the airport and then you think, well, I should probably take them to the airport. Well, if I give, you know, uh, this person, these secrets, these business insights, are they giving something back to me? And so that's where I think, you know, there is some, uh, self-preservation or something that happens there at that level where you're thinking, am I getting as much value am I, as I'm giving in return, or am I at least not giving away a bunch of value that's going to hurt me somehow? So mm. that's, I think, really helpful. And another thing I'll add to that that's similar, but a little bit different that I think I've, I don't, I don't know if I'd say I've learned it the hard way with doing my first season of the podcast, but it's definitely something I'm paying better attention to now is trying to be the type of, you know, fill in the blank podcast guest or partner or whatever that I would want to have. And I have to admit, I haven't always done the best job of this. So throughout, you know, the first season of my podcast, I would say that some guests have been more, I don't know, more like on my team than others or have made me feel like they're really excited to promote it. And a a few of them I had to like nudge a little bit more. And that got me thinking, I was like, man, you know, I've been on other people's shows or made other friendships and I kind of wish I had been a little bit more like this. So I think that's something really helpful too, that I'm trying, Mm -hmm. I've so learned this and I'm trying to apply it as I go forward is how can I be the type of business partner or podcast guest or whatever the case may be that I would want to have. And that's been really helpful for me is to ask myself if, 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 if the, you know, if the shoe were on the other foot, how would I want to be treated? And that's, that's really been meaningful for me coming out of this first season of, of my podcast. Chase, what, mm. what, what are you getting out of all this? Well, we're talking about how to approach these partnerships kind of, and how to, how to like basically if, and effectively like the, the, what we're identifying is the nature of the kind of humility and vulnerability that's required to really effectively get a juicy relationship with people. When I heard from one of the things I heard from Corbett that maybe wasn't explicitly said was how important it is that you're kind of uh, in, in biblical terms, this shows my, where I used, the fact that I used to be an evangelical guy, but you want to be kind of equally yoked. I hate to say that. I just said that. I literally, I'm throwing <laughs> my, my computer across the room right now, but I don't know how else to put it. Equally yoked uh, as in, as in um, you know, y- you have metrics to share that are at least comparable with the metrics that they have to share. If the relationship heads towards sharing metrics. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's, it, you can feel it when you're talking with someone who it's totally one-sided, like they're new into this game. They haven't given as much of their sweat or blood or tears into this or uncertainty or fear or sleepless nights or hopes or aspirations or, uh, anything, you know, they haven't, there's a, there's a threshold across which once you step that past that threshold, it's like we can have really in-depth, really vulnerable, really raw r- conversations because I'm willing to go there and chances are you probably are too, right? Um, but 
if you haven't passed the threshold yet, you, you we're a little bit unequally yoked. Like you don't, you don't like, I, I'm going to feel it that you, you, we're going to have to talk about, not about our metrics or not about this, that, or the other. We have to talk about how scary it is even to just try to do one of these things. And that's why I think I'm really glad that we've sort of highlighted this word vulnerability. I'm reading uh, Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly, mm-hmm. which uh, I've only gotten about 25 pages into it because every time I have to like stop, close the book and like journal about it and just like <laughs> I'm highlight, like the whole thing's highlighted. I know, me the, too. The, the first like 40 pages of that book are just like putler like every, there's not a wasted sentence in it. it everything, yeah. every single thing she says is like the best way it could have been said. And I know that because I've either tried to say some of these things or I've just so totally lived them out, right? That when she says something in there and then she articulates it and it lands hard. Like, it's not like a, oh, she, oh, yeah, like I get what she's saying. It's like, it lands like, oh my God. <laughs> she says in her work, I know I'm doing my job right or I've got the words right. When people start clenching their fists, people put their face in their hands, people get red faced, people get angry, like stand up and start pacing. Like These are the moments when she knows she's doing her job right. And I think it shows in the first 40 pages of this book. I don't know if it goes, if it keeps going on like at that pace, because it that does. just, you, you, you can't make a book <laughs> like that. <laughs> you just can't. So um, anyways, uh, one of the things like, like she, her research around shame and vulnerability are some of like, for me personally, my life, my experience, they're just sh- showing, shedding so much light on, on why I, why I react the way I react in a lot of ways that I don't want. I wish I didn't react like that, you know? And so vulnerability has become a thing that, that I've always been chasing because I've always been chasing real connection. And, and I remember, I remember the first, um, the first conference I went to where I was at the, staying at the standard in LA. Uh, it was a blog world convention. This was a convention that I met Corbett Barr, uh, at, we were at some like, you know, party thrown by like web trends or WordPress or something like that. Um, and everybody, there was a bunch of people there. And I knew, I knew one little niche group here because I was sort of a, a well-known designer on this one WordPress theme framework and uh, the thesis framework. And I knew Chris, the guy who made that and a handful of other people. And through him, I got to meet this guy named Derek and Derek was staying with this guy named Corbett. And then, and then I was at the bar and I, and I, I think, you know, one of us ordered a shot of Fernet or one of us, somehow we started talking about Fernet and that's how Corbett and I met. That's literally how we met. Um, and I was just, now think about this world. I was a designer. I had a skill. I had a very tangible, very niche skill that was necessary for a lot of these guys uh, to do what they needed to do. Um, because you're when you're doing things all by yourself, like you're going to be cobbling together your website. And all of them were at the point, like I, I designed Pat Flynn's website, Smart Passive Income, eventually with with Corbett. Um, and they, and that was just, I reached out to him like a decade ago, like first forever ago, because I saw his website and I was like, this is so bad. And you seem like you're doing like a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Like, you know, and I was like, why is this part green? Why well, I just sent him an email, like circling things like, why is this green? Like, this is not a good green. Like what, what is going on? And I was doing all this and he would write back. He's like, no, it actually works really, really well. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, well, if you ever want to talk about it in the future, let me know. And then one day he did. <laughs> right. Anyways, all that to say, I had a very specific niche skill that I could do for these people. And I was confident and I had, I was, I was good at this thing. 
Like I knew I was good at this thing. Actually, at the time, I didn't really know, but I knew how to pretend like I was good at this thing. <laughs> and and that's what it looked like to be to be there. Now, that's different from specifically getting into your competition, but it was exactly the same the year after when I was working with Corbett um, and we 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 were in this world together. So I and Corbett like was already one of these, you know, Pat Flynn's, Chris Duckers, all of these these types that were there. And they, there is a level of sort of guarded vulnerability there with most of the people. And I'm just talking from my experience here. Most of the time, there's a guarded vulnerability. And it's very special when you can find a relationship where it somehow feels a little more free, a little more easy for some reason. And sometimes you just can't explain why. So you can only bring to these relationships what you can bring to these relationships. So all that to say, don't like don't like need vulnerability from someone. Be as vulnerable as you're willing to be and see where it goes. If you're not, quote, equally yoked with these people, um, then then you're not like you can talk about things more general. Like I said, how scary it is to just try this stuff to be trying to create something, how scary it is to like go like, I have a content strategy and I don't know if it's going to (laughs) work. Do you know what I mean? Uh, There's a lot that you can connect about. And I use that word connection like as like the, the, that's like the, uh, if vulnerability or if shame is the dark side of the vulnerability, you know, coin, connection is the bright side of it. And that's right. what you're looking for. And there's something, there's stuff that really powerful that comes out of connection with other entrepreneurs in a similar space to you, um, whether they've been doing it for longer or shorter or whatever. There's like some kind of like camaraderie that, that I didn't know that I hadn't really experienced before in my life. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if I'm hearing you right, let me just kind of repeat this back. What you're saying is, as scary as it is in this situation, you kind of have to bring, you can't really like necessarily feel out the other person and see like play this game of chicken of like well who's going to be vulnerable first you kind of have to let your own guard down enough to take Corbett's you know point which is like you know you don't want to go letting it all hang out but bringing enough vulnerability to the table to be your authentic self and if some people don't pick pick up what you put down that's fine you can just kind of move on because eventually you will click with the right person who who is actually going to make a real connection to who you actually are and not who you're trying to be. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, Corbett and I connected on so many levels uh, that, that weren't, wasn't always the same with a lot of the other bloggers that I met, even though they were like celebrities, they were cool. Like they were doing the thing. Like we were all very talented and, and sort of performing at like at very high levels of these skills. Like there was lots of people who wanted to be doing it as highly as we were doing it as how I would, how's how I'll put it. Because at the, at the same time, I'm just going like, listen, we were like Z list internet celebrities. We're nothing. We had nobody, (laughs) you know, but, um, but Corbin and I connected uh, culturally, just culturally, right? We were into good music. We were into, um, you know, art and, and and in different ways, but there was something about Corbett that I was like, okay, so he's kind of turned on about this stuff. And I led, I met a lot of other people who were just like, I just want to be rich (laughs) or or like, or like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm blogging. Like I just, I just, this is literally my dream. This is like the most I could possibly ever imagine I'm doing it. And I don't even know what's next. I'm like fired up right now, you know, which is awesome. And is amazing. Uh, but, but there was something about Corbett and the, and the cultural aspect that, that that's who I was. I was like, I was Mr. Saturday Night Live. I was Mr. Like, like into comedy, into art, into music. I, I, you know, so for all, I had all of this experience, all of this, this stuff in me. 
Um, and I was, you know, you're kind of looking for, Hey, is it like this in your head too? <laughs> you know? And yeah. so for some reason, Corbin and I connected on that. Uh, I don't remember what your original question was actually. <laughs> so I don't know if I answered it. <laughs> no, you did. <laughs> you did. I think the question really was like, I think what we're talking about is the difference between, I think for me, it's what I'm taking away is like, what's at stake if you spend too much time trying to pretend to be cooler, better, farther along, like a bigger, better version mm. of yourself. Cause that, that mm. is, that is a, a lack of vulnerability. That is shame in a weird way. I think like, you know, I've been trying to like spend a little bit more time on Instagram lately. Cause there's just a lot of people that I admire doing Instagram stuff and a lot of people listening to the podcast. And I look at a lot of people using Instagram and I'm like, good God, everyone's doing the same stuff. Like where is the, where's like the authentic voice where, and the people, mm. the people who really stand out to me are the ones who are like, it doesn't, how, how do I put this? It's not that like, there's still an element of like, there's still an aesthetic and a authentic, like a, a level of professionalism in some of my favorite, like, we'll just go with Instagram here, my favorite Instagram accounts. But there's also this like weird, indistinguishable human aspect where like, okay, so on the Courage and Clarity podcast this week, Natalie, Natalie Frank is a really, is a great example of this. And she's just like, she's just down to earth. And uh, she was talking about how like in her Instagram stories, she will talk about like burning tacos that she's making for dinner. She's not, it's not necessarily this whole like, look at me parade, which in a lot of other cases, that's what you find. So back to your point, Chase, what I see in that is it would be really easy to look at, like at a certain point, everybody starts looking at what everybody else is doing and then everybody's doing the exact same thing and nobody yeah. is themselves, right? So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. what's interesting is like once you bring yourself to the party, then so you, you connect with some people and like how you connected with Corbett and that's look, look what happened. Fizzle was born, but, and, and you have to be okay at the same time, how beautiful that is. You have to be okay with the fact that you're not going to connect with some other people who maybe you really admire and look up to. It's just not going to be a, a connection. And like, that's kind of the risk you take. I don't know. That's, that's kind of what I'm hearing and what you're saying. I really like the question that you asked, what's at stake if you try to be too cool or too yeah. anything, right? Yeah. Too, like if you try to be too, you fill in the blank, right? What is at stake if you try to be too smart, if you try to be too shy, if you try to be too humble, if you try to be too, if you try to be too anything. And I cherish business for it's a, what business means to me, which is this is not what business has traditionally been. I think I'm trying to reclaim, I think we are all actively, there's a movement of us trying to reclaim what business could be. I mean, we have now the, the ent a new entity that the government recognized as a, as a social corp or whatever it is. Do you remember what it's called, Corbett? Say that again? The, uh, the like, what's the B Corp? Yeah, um, well, it's or, a B Corp or a, a benefit corporation, whatever. Ben a ben yeah, a benefit corporation, right? This is... This is like this weird, like, you know, capitalism, uh, Marxism sort of baby child. <laughs> That's like, what if it's capitalistic, but it does good, <laughs> you know? And like, this is like, this is like the, the human experiment has been trying to find something like this for so long. Uh, and I think for me, there's something really, really beautiful that business enables and the relationships that I can have there because my business is mission-based. I mean, it's f profoundly, you know, and, and fundamentally, uh, not fundamentally even, but it, it, like one of its major requirements is that it is profitable. That is still a major requirement. But something that is at the heart of what we do is we are successful when we are changing people's lives in a truly meaningful way. That's what our business success is predicated on, right? 
And that, to me, the relationships that can happen there are incredible because what you, you required to have this kind of humility where we don't actually know what's going to work. If we knew what was going to work, we'd be, we'd be like, we, we arguably would be way further along than we are, right? So we're at a point, same with Pat Flynn, same with Chris Ducker, same with uh, Jonathan Field, same with uh, Seth Godin, same with uh, Escape from Pam Slim, same with Amy Porterfield, same with uh, Oprah Winfrey, right? Uh, this, this is, uh, we're, we're all figuring out what culture is going to be doing, what people are going to be needing, how to fulfill those needs. And that in and of itself is such an undertaking let alone, obviously I'm just doing it in my little niche over here, but it's requiring everything from me. And I'm gladly and gleefully giving it everything that I can give it because it's really, really profoundly fulfilling to do this kind of work. Like Steve Jobs said in that last uh, episode, in the episode where we were talking about his, his commencement speech quote, and he says, it's necessary that you feel like the work you're doing is great work. Like I added a couple of words there, but this idea of you have to feel like you're doing great work. I don't know if, if, if Colgate, you know, if the Procter and Gamble Colgate team feels like they're doing great work. Right. Do you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. th and that's partly why they're so damn competitive. Now that is me, a young, idealistic, uh, tutu wearing, dancing kind of guy, but I've just tasted and seen what it's like to live meaningfully and to put my effort into making something that clearly matters. And I'm like, done. I'm like, put a fork in it. I'm going to be here the rest of my life. Like I'm over, I'm over trying to figure it out any other way. And so maybe that's why I call organizations like ours missional organizations, because uh, for me, there's just something about that mission that is by itself just fulfilling. You know, yeah. I don't know why I took it all the way over to there, but I just love that question of what's at stake. Yeah. What is at stake my, if you're trying to be too cool? Go for it. My, what, my what? mind went a completely different direction, and for <laughs> me, what's at stake by when you're when you play like you're too cool on? I think you're saying your online presence, your social media, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, what's at stake is catfishing, right? <laughs> like where <laughs> you make your life look so perfect on social oh, media man. that it's impossible when you meet someone in real life for mm. them to see you as anything but a fraud. And oh, I think, wow, yeah. I think that happens a lot when you meet someone and we've all, you know, sought out our internet heroes at conferences or whatever. And then we meet them and we're like, wow, that is a shell of the person that I thought they were, you know, or, yeah. um, or they're just, their personality is just different. Even if it wasn't completely fake, it's just, that online they're, you know, happy and, and peppy and outgoing or something. And in real life, they're somebody different. And some of that I think is because social media enables us to craft what we say and who we are in a certain way. But it also means that there's a lot of power there and that you have to be very careful about it because if that doesn't jive, then you're not going to make people, you're not going to make friends with your competition in real life. You're going to be that sort of on the outskirts kind of weirdo that everybody knows is um, maybe backstabbing or, or something like that and doesn't seem like they participate with everybody else in the same way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That actually reminds me. So this is uh, one last thing here for me. This is another Brene Brown quote that 
that kind of ties into what Corbett was just saying. And I love this one. She talks about this fallacy and and I have totally felt this way. So I'm going to share it. She says, if I look perfect and do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. And Mm. I think that's, it's totally where that desire to look perfect comes from. There's a part of your brain that says, if I can just pretend it's perfect, if I can make, if I can pull this off, then I don't have to feel shamed. I don't have to feel judged. (laughs) Totally. I just want to make like a poster that just says like, if I can just do this perfectly, dot, yeah. dot, dot. That just reminds me like, hey, that stupid damn voice is in my head <laughs> yep. and it does not deserve to be there. It can't, it can't possibly succeed with yep. what it thinks it needs to be. Yep, exactly. Oh, man. So Any, uh, let's do, let's do a ahead. takeaway. Everybody gives a takeaway. How about that? Because this is a kind okay. of an in-depth, an in-depth, big, uh, big conversation. Okay. So, so you go first, uh, Chase. What's yours? Uh, okay. So take away from me on this. Again, we we started this whole thing with kind of how scared, how scared should you be about competition? You know, these are people that could potentially cut into your pie. I would, um, I would, I, I think what I, what I've heard is is that uh, take a risk, be humble and vulnerable, realize that the do some math and see if the if if the the market that you're in if it's a a you know it's a closed off it's as big as it's ever going to be and so you're going to get this little slice of pie and however big you pie you, piece of pie you can cut out for yourself that's your that's how good you are you know if you're living in that world then god bless you but it maybe what is likely the case is you're not your pie the 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 size of the pie itself is constantly growing um this abundance sort of mindset and if you're especially contributing towards a greater something that matters in a, in a greater sense to our species, to our planet, to our to something that matters to you, um, then then there's going to be probably more and more and more an openness to connection with your competition, and you do that through the humility and the vulnerability. And I think in some ways, like the, you just have a real solid vote of like give it a try. And you might have the same experience that Susanna had when she reached out and thought she was going to get like the cold shoulder. Uh, and she totally found lovely, warm people in her competition who were totally willing to help out. Love it. Awesome. Corbett, how about you? Um, I would just like reduce this down and say, don't overthink it. If your business is fewer than 10 people, embrace the so-called competition and, uh, Look for that rising tide effect by supporting each other. And then later, you know, you can you can always change if you feel like you need to be more competitive because you're fighting for the exact same dollars, then you can be more competitive as you grow. But in the beginning, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain as long as you're not giving away important secrets by supporting the competition. Mm. Yeah. I think my takeaway is kind of kind of piggybacks off of that. I loved towards the beginning of the conversation, Corbett, when you made that point about asking yourself, just, I mean, that was just such a simple way to put it, but ask yourself if you're better off, right? You know, if you think that you have that amazing and innovative and breakthrough of like an invention, that your idea is just going to carry itself in a vacuum, then that's great. I don't really know anybody who's got that type of business. It probably exists maybe, but for the vast majority of us, I think we need the help and we need the community and we need to work together. And by the way, I have found personally, it feels better. <laughs> like it feels way more better and way more fun 
when you're meeting the people at the party, when you're hanging out with people who are doing similar stuff with you. It's like that Amy Poehler quote we've talked about before, doing cool with your friends. That's kind of what it comes down yeah. to at the end of the day, right? So yeah. I, th I love that question Corbett asked of ask yourself if you're better off working with your competition or seeing them. Like it's essentially what it's asking is ask yourself if you're better off with a scarcity or abundance mindset. And I think mm. nine times out of 10, we're probably better and more relieved when we're coming from a place of abundance versus scarcity. Love it. I have been Chase Wardman-Reeves. I've been Corbin Barr. I've been Steph Crowder. And we'll see we'll you see there. there. Or we'll, we'll see, see you on another time. time. So there you have it. All right. That was fizzleshow.co slash 202 is where you're going to find the show notes for this episode where Steph wrote up a great article that goes along with this so that you can come back and just remind yourself of the big points. I love that we have these articles that we're writing now for the podcast because you kind of have to listen to the whole podcast to really get the gist of it. But then when you go back to the article at fizzleshow.co slash 202, there's all the greatest hits for you right there. And you're going to remember the context. I think that's really important for us when we think about these big issues. Where you'll also find on that page, you're also going to find exactly how to listen to the first season of Courage and Clarity, that podcast that we were talking about. It highlights amazing small business women, but it's not just for women, okay? It's about what it takes to have vision and process in modern business. Okay, all of that at fizzleshow.co slash 202. Here's an iTunes review from Nick Redmark in the US of A who says, listening to this podcast has in a way become like church to me. You don't always go, but you know it's there every week. And if you want to, you can go and be reminded about what's important. After a while, the specific topics of any single session don't matter anymore. It has become a source of comfort and stability in the ups and downs of this journey and a gateway to feel connected to a greater community of people with similar values. He continues, as they say, you are the average of the people you spend time with. And I'd like to think that spending time with you has made me a little more daring, thoughtful, vulnerable, and cheerful about entrepreneurship and life in general. Oh, Nick, I like that a lot. More daring, thoughtful, vulnerable, and cheerful about entrepreneurship and life in general. Whoa, that feels good. Yeah, coming in. Yeah. <laughs> Dear listener, please leave us a review like Nick has. Tell us what you think of the show. You can do it at iTunes. You can open up the iTunes app or do it in your podcast app sometimes. And you just search for The Fizzle Show and click write a review. I would love to read what you think out on the air. All right, guys, that's episode 202. I am so grateful that you're listening to this show. I'm so grateful that you spend any time at all with us, that you open your life in any way to us. And more than anything, I'm grateful that you're the kind of person who's trying to do something for yourself. You want to take the reins of your own life. I don't think there's any bigger work. That is the only way to change the world. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Thanks. And I'll talk to you next Fizzle Friday. <laughs>